I think PR is like an unbelievable secret weapon for any CMO if it's used strategically and your PR partner is part of the strategy from day one. This is the podcast where we go around the globe to interview marketing leaders from the world's biggest brands, fastest growing companies, and most disruptive startups. Great ideas packaged a certain way want to spread. They want to be told to someone else. It's simple, surprising, and significant. Unlocking viral creativity is to make it rapidly scalable. This is Top CMO with me, Ben Kaplan. Today, I'm chatting with Amy Tunick, CMO of National Cinemedia. As the largest cinema ad network in the US, you and 700 million of your closest friends have probably seen National Cinemedia ads in the movie theater while waiting to watch a feature film. It's showtime. Amy previously held senior positions at the WWE and Warner Media, and served as president of Grey Group's Activation and PR division. One cool thing about Amy, she actually got her start in the famous William Morris Agency mailroom and describes her four years at William Morris like an undergraduate degree in the entertainment industry. So can this cinema-related business thrive during tough times? Let's find out. Lights, camera, action. You're the head marketer at an organization at a company that's in some really, really interesting times, whether that's COVID-related, uh, whether that's all the other types of screens, channels, ways that content is distributed. So first of all, are you getting any rest? Are you getting any sleep? Thank you, Ben. Great to be here. Um, no, I'm totally exhausted, but I love it. I thrive on it. Um, and it's a fascinating time to be at the intersection of movies and pop culture, advertising, technology, innovative ways to do marketing, content, storytelling. So I, I'm loving it, but totally exhausted. You come from advertising as your background, worked at an advertising agency for many years. But what's interesting about your background is you really focused on non-traditional channels, meaning if we're not just going to buy like a broadcast ad spot, we're not just going to do a print ad. If we're going to do, you were around in the early days of influencer marketing before we really knew what that was. The early days of experiential marketing before everything became an experience. So talk about how that led to what you do now and specifically monetizing you know, content movies that are on the big screen. I've always loved entertainment and my first job was at the William Morris Agency in the mailroom as an agent trainee, where I really kind of soaked in the whole business side of the entertainment industry. Which is like, which is like, it's this kind of romantic version of like ground zero in the entertainment industry, right? Like the William Morris mailroom is like, well, you were like, everyone was clawing for that job to deliver the mail. That's right. That's right. I got a, I got a degree and then I promptly started delivering checks and faxes and scripts and, you know, people's mail. But it was great because it was all about soaking it in, meeting people, learning the ins and outs of the entertainment business. Uh, I didn't want to move to LA. And ultimately, if you're not going to move to LA, it's very hard to be successful there. But I spent about four years at William Morris before I went over to Gray. And I, the majority of my career, I was at Gray, the global ad agency. And what I did there was uh, what you were saying earlier. I ran a department that was essentially the non-traditional integrated marketing group there. Um, we did everything outside of traditional ads. If it was a talent request, if it was about an event, if it was a sponsorship activation, grassroots, Sam, Sampling, strategic partnerships, cause marketing, 
all the things that it would be uh, like a creative would come up with an idea and they'd say, how do we do this? Let's call Amy. And I'd say, we can make it happen. And then I'd turn to my team and say, how are we going to do it? Oh, we'll figure it out. But we, we really love to kind of be the team that if you could dream it, we could make it happen. And very, you know, first mover advantage, first time things were ever done. Um, and a lot of the work that I did at Gray was about integrating campaigns where it was one simple idea that lived across all of these different channels. That's so obvious today and everybody does that now, but in the early 2000s, it was not as obvious and it took a lot of education to kind of get different folks within the ad agency world to understand that there were other ways to do things besides just creating a TV spot or a print ad. Did you find that you were exciting because this was experimental? You were trying a lot of things, you were able to invent, or did you feel like advertising and marketing campaigns were very TV centered? You know, maybe TV first, then a bit of print, then like everything else. Right now, it's probably different, right? And if anything, digital has taken a lot away from TV. But did you feel like you were on the periphery or you were this extra lane that was kind of like a nice to have growing up in this? And, and at what point did that change? Yeah, that's exactly what it was like. We did a lot of cool and sexy things, but we were definitely an afterthought. A lot of times a campaign would be developed all the way. And then they'd turn to us and say, how can we get some PR out of this? How can we make this cool after the fact? And so I would say that there was a major shift that started happening. And it was really internal at Gray. I'm sure it was happening at other agencies as well, where I had some relationships with some really amazing creatives who kind of understood the value of baking ideas with the PR in mind or with the entertainment partner in mind or with a celebrity that would be very hard to get in mind from the beginning. And how can we build those parts out before we pitch the idea to the client? And I would say that in 2011, there was a campaign. It was called Project Imagination and it was for Canon cameras. And this was the breakthrough for me and for sort of everybody at Gray, I believe at the time, where the idea was very simple. It was what if consumer photos could inspire a Hollywood film? And at that time, the Hollywood of that was Ron Howard. We did a big partnership with Ron. He came on board and we invited consumers to enter this photo contest in categories. And Ron essentially sewed together the winning photos into a script and ultimately produced a film. That film went on to shortlist at the Academy Awards in the live action short film category. And we had all sorts of bells and whistles around it, you know, a sponsorship of Tribeca and Sundance, experiential activations, a big film premiere at the Museum of Natural History. But it was, and of course, a TV spot and a cinema ad with National Cinemedia, if you can believe it. But the idea was simple and all the channels brought it to life. And I was at the core of that program. It went on for multiple years with Canon, great client, great brand. And that was a game changer because then other brands at Gray and other teams started to say, I want a project imagination. How do I, how do I get one of those? And I think that's when me and my group started getting invited in earlier into the briefs and those campaigns won awards. And that always also, you know, gets people to raise their eyes and sort of look over and say, how do we do that better? Bring us to present day. So now you're in charge of marketing for one of these non-traditional channels, really advertising on, on cinema screens. Cinema or movie releases is regarded as one of those cultural moments, as one of those big things that's on the big screen, right? How do you start thinking about that as a non-traditional channel, but then one that 
is hugely affected by COVID and then the aftermath of COVID. One big pivot for me was leaving Gray, moving into the media industry, and then coming over here to National City Media. So we can we can talk about that later. But to answer your question, movie business has been around a very long time. And over the many, many decades, there would always be a new invention or some crazy thing that would happen that would make people quite, is, are the movies going to stay? Is, is this going to mean that we're not going to go to the movie theater anymore? And, and time and again, whether it was the VCR or the DVR or, you know, being able to buy your tickets in advance and know what seat you were going to, you know, sit in, all of those things have happened and people still love going to the movies no matter what. COVID be damned. And, you know, we did have a very rough couple of uh, months there. I think it was about six, six or eight months that the theaters did shut down during COVID. But, you know, here we are in 2022 and July just crossed a billion dollars. The month of July had a box office of $1.1 billion. And it's been, that's the first month since I think uh, late 2019 that that's happened. And so the good news is that the audiences are back. And if the studios put content in the theater, that immersive big screen, unskippable content experience is something that consumers are willing to pay for. And they'll pay for it in a recession too, because still an affordable form of entertainment. For me and my career, I look at cinema advertising and what we're trying to tell the world is it's not actually so non-traditional anymore. We are premium video inventory. And with the decline of linear and the challenges with advertising on the streamers, we are right there on your media plan as a way to extend your reach your scale and incrementally get your audience, especially the younger audiences into your media mix. So we look at ourselves as pretty, hopefully pretty traditional today. The cultural side of it is what's really cool and non-traditional. When you see a Top Gun or a Jurassic World or some of these, you know, Spider-Man or the Batman, these, these giant, giant films that everyone is anticipating, talking about, buzzing about, conversing on social, and then they buy their ticket and then they tell their friends and they see it with their friends. It's different than sitting on your couch and watching a great movie on a streamer. It really, it's just a different vibe and experience. And so even the streamers are looking at using theatrical releases as a way to drive conversation and cultural impact with their biggest investments. So there's pretty much nothing like going to the movies. How do you think then about the aftermath of COVID? Let's say, you know, we had the big dip in in movie theater attendance. You're a marketer. So your job is to get more and more advertisers to look at cinema screens as a great channel for them to your point, not a extra channel, but like a primary, maybe a premium channel. How has it been sort of the decrease of content in theaters where a certain number of Netflix or Amazon are buying up movies, they're spending big bucks, they want it on their platform. Maybe they're they're open to, to doing a theatrical release first. How do you think about that? Because that directly impacts the inventory you can sell. Yeah, that's a great question. So coming to NCM, National Cinemedia, I was coming in really in this recovery phase. Uh, I joined the company about a year ago. First, it was worrying about the audiences coming back. We're not worried about that anymore because to your point, when the content is there, they go. The biggest challenge coming from COVID was just the the backup and the delays on productions that the studios are experiencing. There are the streamers and all the content in the world. And then there's the content that you can view that's short form on TikTok or YouTube. But when it comes to sort of the premium, the movies, the longer form movie experience, it really is difficult for us when there's less content in the theaters. So the same amount of blockbusters are there, which is great. It's the smaller films that kind of filled in the gaps, the 
the human interests, the dramas, the, the ones that were targeted to more niche audiences versus the young 18 to 34 year olds that we reach every single day. And that's sort of been the area that's a little slower to recover um, or just they're, they're backed up. They haven't really made the same level of investments there. We're very hopeful and it looks really good for the next three to five years that the studios are ramping back up and we will get back to the level or the number of films, I should say, that will be released theatrically. So it's less about the streamers and more just about the impact COVID had on the production industry that I think has been slower. The advertisers are coming back. We're absolutely thrilled. We're really, really primed for the future. How much of your time is spent selling the medium? And how much of the time is spent just adjusting the integrated marketing mix? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say that for the first six to eight months that I was here, it was a lot of education, mainly because advertisers did have to make a pivot. Even longtime advertisers with National Cinemedia, you know, when the movie theaters weren't open, they made changes. And then also, as you know, there's a lot of turnover in the CMO world. And so there were a lot of new clients and there was a lot of re-education about the medium overall. But I think we're kind of past that. And now we're at the other point that you mentioned, which is, you know, cinema should be a larger part of your media mix. And as they look at us versus all the many, many places that brands can spend money today, the pie isn't exactly getting bigger, but yet it's getting sliced a lot thinner. There's just so many choices for brands today. The beauty of what we offer is we are one of the last brand building mediums out there. Brands would say, oh, the, you know, the ultimate end game is, is advertising in the Super Bowl or advertising in the Olympics or or, you know, maybe the Oscars, but those linear tent poles, you know, Super Bowl is still huge, of course, but they have declining audiences. And not only that, but the, who we reach are young, diverse 18 to 34 year olds who really aren't watching linear in the first place. They probably never had a cord to even cut. And one of the stats that was a game changer for us in our selling season is if you look at Spider-Man that opened up last December, right in the heart of Omicron, by the way, opening weekend of Spider-Man, there were more 18 to 34 year olds just that opening weekend than watch the Super Bowl this past February. There's a million stats like that. The scale and the reach of cinema every weekend just crushes all of these other mediums and the brand building nature is is there. We can also do all of our performance marketing and we rolled out some new data products earlier this year that are that are amazing, but it's really both. You know, we've got sort of the more specific KPIs and, and measurement that you need and the attribution, but we also can use our medium to just tell those beautiful, impactful, big new brand stories too. So why is intellectual property like Spider-Man so powerful? This is the key to the future. And why is aligning with it powerful for your brand? You want answers? At Top Agency, we think about connecting the known to the unknown. When you want the consumer to understand something about your product or brand and they haven't heard about it before, they need to connect it to something they do know. Ooh, that's interesting. Think of it this way. If I was trying to explain what a pomelo is to you, I might say it's a teardrop-shaped large grapefruit from Southeast Asia. Since you know what a grapefruit is, that would give you a reference point to understand an entirely new concept. And that's what intellectual property can do. Since you already know what Spider-Man is in a visceral and emotional way if you're a fan, it gives you a reference point to easily understand something connected to it, like a product, more quickly. Maybe even in the split second you get as an advertiser trying to grab someone's attention. Show me the money! So can intellectual property 
help create ownable moments for brands. Amy had an interesting take. There's a couple of ways to do it. Certainly aligning with powerful IP is is a good one. Um, that's what we're selling all day long here at NCM, whether it's advertising around the highly anticipated Black Panther Wakanda Forever or Avatar 2 or any of these huge films that are coming out. But in between Grey and National Cinemedia, I spent several years at Warner Media. I joined it when it was Turner. Uh, obviously, we were bought by AT&T and then unbought, and now it's Warner Brothers Discovery, so a lot of evolution. But when I was there, um, I really worked for CNN on the news side of the business. And we did have tent poles as well, although news is a very different beast. But the content studio that I worked in called Courageous Studios, we would try to create these cultural moments by just really, truly original, impactful ideas that had never been done before and told a story in a way that would get consumers excited. One such example was actually the client was Hulu, and it was their season three of The Handmaid's Tale, and they were trying to drive tune in for that. And we had an insight that was all about, it was female empowerment is really what their brief was about. And the insight was that if you look at all across the country, the number of statues that honor people. And in New York specifically, there were 140 statues in New York and five of them were women. And so we, we drew upon that to sort of even out the number of female representations sort of tied in with Hulu and The Handmaid's Tale. And we created an experiential marketing program where we basically erected the missing 145 female statues. And that was a campaign for The Handmaid's Tale. And that kind of just breakthrough, very original idea based on an insight or a fact that's little known but very personal to so many people, that's a way to drive a cultural moment. And ultimately, we were promoting a property and a brand that had some inherent cultural relevance and conversation to it. And so it's about aligning those stars, telling those stories in interesting ways, and doing never-before-done things. And that's what I like to do in my career. How do you think about timing for all of that? Typically, advertising workflow is, we're like, who's our persona we want to reach? What's the message we want to reach with them? And then how are we going to flight it to reach them? But what role is timing in sort of building buzz, viral moments, and creating that by, by timing it right? Timing is everything, Ben. The timing, not just of when to do something and how to plan it in such a way that it's really the breakthrough thing that everybody's talking about. But also, it's really important to try to be quick. I found, for instance, Ryan Reynolds and his agency and the work they've done is so quick. He's kind of broken the advertising model by being able to respond to cultural conversations so quickly. Uh, the Peloton ad, that, that the way that that all blew up last year was a great example. The other thing I like to do when it comes to timing is I'm a planner. I'm an operator. I am I'm a kind of long view person. And so being able to figure out all of the steps and the exact phases that are really going to hook people in and when to give them this message and then that message and when that call to action has to result in this and that, you know, looking at things through the lens of how it all operates holistically and when are you going to get the biggest bang for your buck? When should that PR story go out? How do you know when it should be an exclusive or just a release on the wire? You know, where do we get the tweet that's going to sort of rock the world? Where does that fit in? All of that is so critical. And then, of course, with movies, you know, look, when the studios move a film release, that that can mess with us. <laughs> and it messes with our clients' flights and it messes with the way that we're going to market during that quarter. But timing is 
is everything. And I think you have to really, you know, be in tune to the, the plan B and plan C should something happen. If a big news event happens right when you're about to launch something and it's not a sensible message due to whatever the news event was, you got to hold. You got to be unafraid to hold because the wrong timing can be a disaster. Sometimes people are surprised to learn that the web platform I created, nationaltoday.com, is the source of hundreds of new holidays every year. Whether that's National Peppermint Bark Day that we created for Williams-Sonoma, Endless Breakfast Day that we launched for Denny's, or International Dark and Stormy Day that we invented for Gosling's Run. So are these holidays real or are they made up? What is real? The answer lies in what makes a holiday a holiday, and that is the power of shared experience. But shared experience alone isn't quite enough to give birth to these viral moments. Rather, it's shared experience triggered at a particular moment in time, on this day, week, or month, that gives a holiday its unique ability to get millions of people to say, feel, or do something together. Totally. And I mean, I think that shared experience is really the key. That's one of the things people like about going to the movies, right? It's a shared experience. Even if you go alone, if you see a horror film, you don't want to watch it on your couch. You want to share that experience with other people. So you're all ooing and eyeing and freaking out at the same time. I think the Taco Tuesday example is another perfect way to look at that, especially following these last couple of years with the pandemic. You know, people crave that personal connection, that in-person experience and being able to do something as simple as eat tacos with a friend, it makes it that much better. And then there's the FOMO and then there's the social media piece of it, right? If you didn't take a photo of Taco Tuesday, so you're missing out, right? What's been interesting is you have these theatrical releases as this moment. And now we have brands even like, let's create any moment we can to bring people together and have, you know, the moment where we deserve to be in the cultural conversation. So I think this idea of how do we have a reason to be discussed, however we do it, becomes important when there's a lot of noise and a lot of stuff going on, whether that's COVID or inflation or war in Ukraine or, or all of that too. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one other thing about our show, our pre-show that we sell to advertisers and we create and entertain moviegoers with, it's called Nuvi. And in addition to brands being able to just put their ads or their stories up there, we have our own content that capitalizes on the timing and the shared experience. So we've created a lot of IP within Nuvi, different ways for brands to sponsor shows within our show or organically integrate their brand. And that's all happening right before the experience that these people have gone to buy a ticket to sit there to share with their friends. So we're trying to create more moments, more special moments that make everything that we bring to our clients uh, more impactful in terms of how they reach their audience. It's these shared special experiences between people, the human connections. That's what they remember. And that's why our recall is so great. So, so how does the National Cinemedia Marketing Playbook work? How are you reaching out to people? How are you getting in front of the right audience? Are you targeting CMOs? This is a good, good podcast for you to be on. Or are you targeting other folks? How do you get the word out? How do you spread the word? What does your just like weekly or monthly or quarterly KPIs look like? Uh, obviously, B2B company, we're you know, targeting brands and marketers and agencies that could be all different kinds of agencies so you know while we primarily partner with media agencies and the big five holding companies uh, I come from the creative agency background right so we're really trying to talk to anybody that works with brands that make 
makes marketing decisions from the CMO down to the more junior creative or PR person that has an influence over a brand's marketing decisions. In terms of the cadence, we are definitely focused on that broadcast upfront selling season, but we also sell on a calendar upfront and we also tap into the scatter market. We also are putting out packages that are around the tent poles that we have, which are the big Wakandas and avatars of the world, as well as looking ahead. So I mentioned uh, the IP that we've created within Nuvi, our pre-show. We work with a lot of influencers and talent to create content that is relevant and exciting and building buzz for the upcoming releases. For instance, we have a show called Nuviverse, which is influencers, mainly TikTok and Instagram, who are really experts or passionate about the superhero films, the Marvel and the DC releases. And they are super hyped up to talk about what they can't wait for and what the buzz and the rumors are on the internet around the next upcoming films. And we create content around that with them and then we put that content you know in our new v pre-show and brands can sponsor or integrate or work with that talent as part of the way they operate with us so we have that scheduled out for the whole next year same with other mini shows within our show like that so a lot of the work that i'm doing is hybrid of short term what happened this weekend at the box office how do we capitalize on that with the social post and the messaging that goes out to clients right now what are we looking at for this quarter and then what are we looking at all the way for next year through the end of 23. So it's a lot of juggling and a lot of sort of B2B, but then also staying focused on NCM and our brand and our brand reputation and building that up through different types of communications and channels. We have a big partnership with Cannes, the Cannes Festival of Creativity. Uh, NCM is the U.S. representative for Cannes. We do a lot of things with them. We help select the juries. We run the Young Lions competition. We tell different stories around the importance of creativity. And one of my goals and one of my KPIs is to elevate NCM to be seen as more of a creative media company versus a transactional media company. So I've got a lot of balls in the air and it's sort of a hybrid of super duper short term all the way to super long term and just juggling that to make sure that we can prove success. And how do you think about metrics in this, both your own metrics and the metrics for your clients, your customers. And I'll give you one example. I was talking with the CMO at Ben and Jerry's and he was saying that because Ben and Jerry's is, is a company that's focused on the social good, one of the most impactful things they did, they put in a KPI like how much social good did you do? And that became something, you know, if you're going to review, you want a promotion, then suddenly that alters everyone's behavior. Like, oh man, I'm going to be judged like how much social good did I do? Okay, I better do some stuff. So I'm ready for that. So sometimes metrics are interesting because metrics can change behavior. It's one of the fastest things you can do. If you don't have time to train the whole thing, you just put a metric in and people, especially really good people, talented people will match it. So how do you think about metrics for yourself, metrics for your clients or customers and getting people to use a metric that you want? I mentioned I'm the first CMO actually at National Cinemedia and the marketing team prior to me was really not a B2B focused team. It was much more B2C targeting the moviegoers. And I came in and I was like, wait a minute, but our business model is selling advertising. So we're going to totally reorganize and integrate the marketing team and all the facets to be as aligned with sales as we can be and to really ensure that sales success and our success are completely intertwined. So one metric, of course, is helping drive revenue and, you know, doing as much as we can with some of the ideas that I was mentioning earlier, modernizing, but yet monetizing our pre-show through different kinds of content, different kinds of opportunities for brands to get on board and different ways that we tell our story in the advertising community. So that metric will be revenue and how do we contribute and how do we align ourselves um, very specifically with what we did and what it drove. But the other side of it is building our brand and building the awareness 
status of, of NCM and really being a player in the industry. You know, I came from Warner Media, which is many thousands of people, and NCM is about 300 people now. And so we went through a, a really tough time. And so building internally our brand, you know, reestablishing the culture and the morale of the company, and then also utilizing some of our longstanding partnerships, like with the Can Lion uh, organization, to get out there and tell our story. And the metrics around that will be couple with Can in particular. It's did we drive new revenue through this partnership? Did we drive new sales leads and strengthen the relationships we have with brands and agency partners, et cetera? You know, other metrics that we give to our advertisers are through our new data and intelligence platform called NCMX, which we launched earlier this year, which basically allows us to use the largest set of deterministic data around moviegoers, that, and that's what we have to help deliver brands KPIs. So we do a lot of measurement and insights, and we have a lot of new products and tools that we're using specifically to prove out metrics to our clients. And then finally, the PR. I just brought on a new vice president of PR and corporate communications. And it's really important that we uh, get some of that editorial coverage and that we find different ways to tell our stories and have legitimate trade outlets, you know, talking about NCM in the same breath as all the other media companies out there. So here's the thing about PR that a lot of CMOs miss. At its best, PR is both a proactive and reactive discipline. It's proactive because you can't just release news, you have to create it. And the more you learn to create a consistent drumbeat of news, what we call scalable stories, the more you can make your PR results predictable. We now have breaking news. But that's only half the battle. You also need to react to all of the news created by others. That's what we call a rapid response program. You track the news created by beat journalists, competitors, and partners, and then insert yourself into their stories in real time. Proactive. Let's go. Reactive. What are we gonna do? Offense. Defense. Scalable stories and rapid response. To find out more about how we at Top have helped brands develop a strategic PR program, visit us at topagency.com slash PR. I think PR is like an unbelievable secret weapon for any CMO if it's used strategically and your PR partner is part of the strategy from day one. So um, in terms of the data, you know, some of the data points that we have are just unbelievable and yet, you know, nobody really knows them. I mentioned the Super Bowl comparison before. We have all sorts of factoids. Um, another good one is when the Batman opened in March, that opening weekend, more 18 to 34 year olds were there watching the Batman than the 18 to 34 year olds in the top 16 broadcast and linear shows combined for that first weekend. And so those kinds of, whoa, I didn't know that, you know, data data points that help demonstrate the reach and scale of our offer need to be shared, but not just put out in the world in, in a really impactful and interesting way. And so I am um, partnering, uh, bringing, you know, PR into the B2B side <laughs> and looking at how to tell these stories. NCMX, which I mentioned, which is our data intelligence platform, we're doing all sorts of partnerships with different products that help us 
have you know more and more sophisticated deliverables. And we're telling that story in PR. We had a nice write-up with Ad Exchanger recently. You know, we're talking to all the different outlets to really explain what NCMX is. And we do that by making announcements around the various components and case studies that we have. One such example is a New Star, which is a new partner of ours. Another one is Affinity Solutions. Another one is Elemental TV, where we're putting QR codes on the big screen and allowing really powerful measurement to come out of that and guarantee business outcomes. To, so telling those stories in a compelling, simple way to the ad trades, that really wasn't something NCM was doing before. So PR is just, it's your, it's your friend and um, it's really important. And then of course on the content side and the talent side, that always helps in working with interesting companies, talent, influencers, charities, those kinds of things inherently do get a lot of buzz, but it's got to be strategic. Can't just do it for the sake of doing it. Well, and one of the nice things is the field you're in, you do have these tentpole moments where like datas and insights from that, the Monday after, the, you know, the weekend, what happened, what's context is a great way, I think it seems like to start a conversation and be in the news. And then also, I think these interesting comparisons, it sounds like what you're trying to do is shift the way the people think about the medium, that it's not like the Super Bowl is here and we're here. That actually, if you look at it from a different lens, like we're right there with it or we're right there with linear broadcast. And so those comparisons become important, but then also timing them with these like releases. You're in a business that has releases. So there's a reason to be in the news a lot if you can capitalize on those releases from the PR point of view. Totally. I mean, certainly reporters are writing about the movies in the box office every single week. There's no shortage of analysis of just the straight cinema medium. But for us, it's about telling the story in a way that's very compelling to the advertising community. The, the campaign that I launched when I first joined here was NCM Reimagined. And, you know, it was really straightforward and simple, but that's what we were doing. A lot of reimagining who we were, how we talk to brands, what products we offer them, how do we make that story compelling. Um, and we're working on our 2023 campaign now because you can't be reimagined forever. So we got to evolve and we got to tell the next phase of our brand story. But I love PR as a medium as part of marketing. And I feel like it's it's really getting more and more valued as, as we go. What is your advice for someone that's just like kind of thinking about their career now in marketing, wants to get to a CMO level someday that may be in the track they're on, that may not be in the track they're on? Um, how, what is your advice to thinking about that? First of all, spending as much time as I did at the agency was really, really valuable. I think that, you know, there's there's pros and cons and there's people love it and people hate it, but working in an agency teaches you a lot and it helps you understand a lot of different facets of creative and how marketing works and what clients want. And, and so I recommend most people, if they are interested in this, to spend at least a a couple of years in an agency environment. But then I also think, you know, having another sort of adjacent element of the career is important. For me, I moved into media. I could have gone direct to the brand side, the in-house side. That's another obvious place to sort of jump from agency into the in-house side of the brand. But I think having those different experiences is really important. I would not be prepared for this role of CMO at National Cinemedia had I not spent three years at Warner Media in a highly sophisticated sales organization going through its own evolution of sort of a traditional linear company to, you know, evolving to streaming with HBO Max. So uh, that plus the content studio that I oversaw, those pieces 
were extra pieces to my puzzle that allowed me to kind of be well-rounded enough. And I think also the whole, you know, follow your passions, that's, that's, that's difficult because you don't always know what you're passionate about until you take a job and, and give it a shot. But for me, I was able to keep entertainment all along the way as something that I always loved. Took a little stint in news there, but that kind of brought me back in to entertainment. And so if there is something that really motivates you, drives you, that you're constantly finding you're reading articles about, pay attention because what you need most to succeed and to, to get to that next level is that motivation and that drive. And so you, you know, have to want it and you got to work hard. And I'm a big proponent of raising people up, but they've got to do the work as well. What is your advice to other CMOs, marketing leaders in industries that are maybe different from entertainment, but are still affected by macroeconomic factors, supply chain issues. In this case, it's for you, it's the supply of movies. For other people, it's, you know, the supply of widgets or chips or other things like that. For CMOs that are by nature in industries where they have to be nimble and they have to adjust. And there are certain some factors that are outside of your control that may pop up on a Wednesday and you didn't know about it on a Tuesday. What is your advice for them on how to manage that process? Well, I don't know if this would be advice for Mark Pritchard, who's probably the most famous CMO out there at Procter & Gamble, but I was reading an article where he was quoted today about what brands do in difficult times, such as you know potential recessions. And it's not about pulling back and being scared. It's about using data and analytics to help reach as many people without waste as possible during that time. So that I found you know, inspiring because I love when CMOs say we're not going to stop advertising just because it's a recession. That's always helpful. And it's nice to know the behind the scenes of that. But I think my advice would be really consider who your desired audience is and how are you reaching and engaging them? You know, I think with the younger audience, which is what we have in the movies, it's really important to realize that there's just only so many places that you can actually reach and engage them with your message. Not a knock on TikTok or YouTube, but it's a three-second view, if that, whereas, you know, we, we've got this unskippable content platform and they're there and they're immersed and there's no competition. And so, you know, it's like if that's your audience, that young, diverse, you know, 18-year-old, where are they and what is the way to reach them during tough times? Because if you can focus, uh, sort of like what Mark Pritchard says, don't pull back, just go for it and hone in and be specific. According to Amy Tunick, the power of movies is one part how they are delivered in a theater, preferably popcorn in hand, and one part how they resonate with an audience. That's what powerful intellectual property helps us do. So create shared experiences. Drive tentpole moments. Remember, timing matters. Think big, work hard, stay driven. Be proactive and reactive. Use great data and tell great PR stories with it. And as they say in the movie business, that's a wrap. For Top CMO, I'm Ben Kaplan.